0: What happens when a chef, a critic, and a culinary writer get together for a totally unscripted conversation? Welcome to Three Ingredients, a show about the world of food. I'm Ruth Reichel, and I've spent my whole life writing about it.
1: I'm Nancy Silverton, America's busiest chef, and the woman who made sourdough bread making a household obsession.
2: And I'm Lori Ochoa, General Manager of Food at the Los Angeles Times, and Happy Tripe Eater. Because if you're going to eat meat, you shouldn't let the good parts go to waste. This week, we're all about vegetables and shopping.
0: If you're curious about all the great little food shops we talk about, we've listed the addresses of every one of them on our Substack page. Afterwards, it's on to vegetables, mostly the ones that nobody ever talks about. Believe me, when we're done, you'll never think about celery or iceberg lettuce in quite the same way. We have a lot to talk about this week, so pull up a chair and come join us in the kitchen. By the way, all our episodes live over at threeingredients.substack.com, along with a bunch of bonus stuff, including written pieces and discussion threads. You can support the show there or sign up for free, so each episode of Three Ingredients lands right in your email. That's ingredients.substack.com. What place is this? Talbot Narding in Hudson. I mean, that's a great thing about living in a place for a long time. You get to know what each little shop does really well. And you know, sometimes you won't. You go to a place for just one thing, like you go to the to those Turkish shops just for your pistachios. That's amazing. right.
1: <laughs> but that's still, I don't think of uh, LA. I think more of the countryside, like where you live, where you go to your, the one little place for the one thing. But yes, I do, except for my pistachios from the Turkish place. Um, I don't see Los Angeles is. You know, it's, it's not pleasurable kind of driving around and making all those stops, but in your area, it's so romantic. Oh,
0: no. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, getting, re- I mean, I, I imagine that with Sherry and Fred here tomorrow, we will drive around a lot. You know, we will go to the great bakery for bread and the great cheese shop. Were you going to go
1: to that bakery that uh, I haven't been, but I read about the husband and wife. I think it's the husband and wife team.
0: They closed w- it. You're kidding, why? red because folks? Of, why? Um, I think they were too successful. I mean, you know, they they sold out every day. They did the greatest laminated pastries, and I think that the pressure of just producing that much every day got to them. I don't know. I mean, yeah. I have heard rumors that they're maybe coming back, which would be great. Because they really did make great breads and incredible laminated pastries, and it was an adorable little shop. You know, it was one of those little shops that was very well curated. So, and that was in Hudson, right? That was in Hudson. Yeah. Yeah.
2: All right. All right. But but I do I always do love the idea of shopping one place for one thing. Like we have the Garney Meat Market here in Pasadena. It's a fantastic. Armenian butcher and they do the marinated meats and they do like chicken thighs or quail or lamb and and it's an easy dinner. Um, but then when we lived in New York, I loved you know um, you know Jonathan would always take Isabel to the pasta store on Houston and you know the cheese store and the butcher and it's and then I love that way of shopping. Yeah, but that is that's what that's
1: just much that's not Los Angeles. I mean certainly Los Angeles we have our Favorite places. Like, you know, Michael will drive out to Hots, you know, in Glendale to get, you know, because you can only get it that uh that um I think you, you have know, to describe what the
2: hots are. Well, it's that Armenian
1: herb stuffed.
2: Yeah, there are like 14 herbs inside the flatbread. It's so know in, in
1: a flatbread, which is that's the only shop that makes it. So certainly if that's what you want or you're gonna be serving hots. You go there, but I think Los Angeles, just the nature of driving around the city and everything is so spread out, I don't think, I mean, I do, do, you know, if I'm having a party and there's certain things I need, I'll only go to those
0: few spaces, you know, places to get them. I wrote a story, oh, this is what? This is when Alice's daughter Fanny was eight. She now has a child of her own. So a long time ago. I wrote a story about Kermit Lynch, the winemaker, for Metropolitan And it was about how Kermit lives half the year in Provence and half the year in Berkeley. And he said to me, it's so much easier cooking in Berkeley than it is in Provence. Because in Berkeley, you know, I I I don't have to leave town. I can get everything I need within a few feet of each other. He
1: didn't have to leave his little mini mall where he was at because there was Acme Bread and Cafe Fanny and Kermit Lynch Winery. I mean, remember that little, the three Absolutely. of them shared that little.
0: Yes, and, and, and then he could, that. you know, walk a few feet and go to the cheese yeah. Board, board. Yeah, and- but, but
1: then when you have those places also in Berkeley, like what was it called? Berkeley Bowl or what was it? Berkeley Bowl Berkeley and, and the Monterey Bowl, Market. Right. OK, so Berkeley Bowl had every vendor you wanted to buy from there anyway,
0: right? It is truly a great supermarket. Berkeley so there Bowl. you wouldn't have to. And Monterey Market has the best produce. I mean, yeah. it, it. I will never forget going there and getting a perfect peach. I mean, when was the last time you went into a, a shop and bought a perfect peach? But what I was going to say was so, so he was saying, you know, when in Provence, I have to drive around and it takes me all day to get everything I need to have a party. And unbeknownst to me, the piece comes out and Kermit calls me and says, how could you do this to me? And I said, what are you talking about? And he said, well, the magazine, your article in the magazine says that it's so much easier to cook well in Provence. And I said, what? And the editors just decided that they liked the idea of Cooking in France better than cooking right. in Berkeley. So they just changed his quote. They changed <laughs> his quote? <it because, laughs> what?
2: <laughs> they changed the quote. <laughs> that's that's uh, journalistic malpractice. Uh, you know, and I, I think Kermit didn't talk to me for a while after that. I mean, he was really angry about it. But I also have to say, since I've shopped with you both in this way, you guys also love wandering the farmers' market. And there, there you will find a perfect peach in a Los Angeles farmers market, either Hollywood or Santa Monica or, or. yeah. Well. Yeah. But there at any, you know, farmers
1: markets, the great thing uh, post pandemic is that you can actually taste everything, uh, you know, um, which is guaranteed that you're going to buy the perfect peach, right?
0: Yeah. Um, yes. And, and, you know, the Hollywood farmers market is one of my favorite places on earth. Uh, except that you can never get bread there because Bob and Grandma's always runs out before I get there.
1: But Andrea has her bread place too. She does, right? She does. Kenter Canyon. You know, we um we kind of signed off last uh, episode talking about some of our favorite ingredients that were so underrated. Right, and we were talking about iceberg and let and um and uh, celery, celery and. In my case, cucumbers as well. But you know, when it comes to iceberg, I've always been a big iceberg fan. You know, and I know that you know. The, there's an the argument that there's nothing nutritional; it's just water. Um, which I understand. It's a vehicle that carries lots of other things. Look at it's the base for my um infamous Nancy's chopped salad at the pizzeria, which is half shredded um iceberg and half radicchio. Um but i just love iceberg cuz i just love the crunch but um and i've always been you know i think that a, a you know i think a lot of us uh we call ourselves food people or foodies or whatever we want to call ourselves have been shamed you know like how could you dare say you um uh love iceberg think about the image right i mean <laughs> you know it you need you need to you need to um sort of endorse fancier products, right? More exotic ones. And when it comes right down to what we really love are icebergs. So I've always been um, the type of cook and restaurateur where I'm not embarrassed by the things that I like and the things that I promote. But even iceberg themselves, you know, Chino Ranch used to, Chino Ranch down in Del Mar, where I'm actually going to tomorrow on my way to cook a dinner in Santa Monica. Yeah.
0: Oh, Um, please give them my love. I will.
1: I will, but I don't know. Did you ever taste their iceberg? I didn't know they grew it. They grew iceberg, and their iceberg tasted like no other iceberg because of the terroir, you know, I or maybe more so. But also, you know, look at It's from Del Mar. It's near the coast, and there was something very, very minerally about not only the iceberg that they grew and the flavor, but I really love the structure, you know. So most of the iceberg that we get that we buy at the supermarket, say, is very, very dense, right? And that's why it's great for sheddi- sh- shredding up and things like that. But theirs had this open texture, very similar to what I now buy for the burgers that we do at Kispaka. I buy a baby iceberg, and it's like an underdeveloped iceberg, so that the heads are very, very open, that you can just kind of peel them, Right and there's separation between the layers and chinos was always like it but chinos always had a better flavor it was like okay chinos iceberg does not taste like the regular person's iceberg but it had the crunch right yeah oh yeah it had the crunch and it had everything else that it need you know that it needs to but it had a uh, it had a um a depth in flavor
0: Well, you're using the past tense. Does that mean they don't grow it anymore? They don't
1: grow it anymore, but they've been doing ice cream. He was obsessed with ice cream, and he was doing it out of his Persian mulberries,
0: and that was... Yeah, well, Persian mulberries just make me think of you. It was (laughs) the first time I ever tasted a Persian mulberry was at your house. They were great. We
2: we used to have a Persian mulberry tree in our backyard. Uh, It got destroyed in a windstorm, but it was the best fruit I've ever had. And what was great mm-hmm. about it is you couldn't cook with it or use it for your ice cream or do anything with it because the best way was just to pick it off the tree and it would almost fall apart in your hand and the juices would get all over it and you just would take a bite and each one would have the perfect amount of juice just popping out of it. And it was like, it's like the best fruit experience.
1: Yeah. Wow. But they They grew some, but, um, But their iceberg and who was, who were you quoting? Oh, you were quoting
0: Marion Cunningham, right? Marion Cunningham want, I mean, she literally wanted to be the spokesperson for the iceberg lettuce board. She loved iceberg lettuce. When I fell in love with iceberg was I had a friend who was in the hospital. He fell off a roof and broke his back. And when I called him and said, I'm going to come visit you. What can I bring you? And he said, all I want, it's what I think about all day is an ice cold head
1: uh-huh. of
0: iceberg lettuce. <laughs> With and nothing, first, not dressed or like not, not a wedge. Dressed, or- he just wanted, he said, yeah, bring me a, an ice cold head of iceberg lettuce and cut it in quarters and feed it to me. And mm-hmm. I did. You know, it was like that Tom Sawyer thing. It was like, Oh, Iceberg lettuce. Where have you been all my life? Yeah.
1: Well, again, you know, I mean, I know from my mother wouldn't feed it to us because she was very concerned about nutrition and, you know, vitamins and things like that. And she would say, No, I'm not serving that. There's no vitamins in it. I remember when, when Marion Cunningham made that that statement, I was just like, okay she's my voice, you know, she made it okay. And I always, I mean, I love, whenever I go to a steakhouse type of restaurant, um, I always look for that wedge, you know, and, you know, at the bearish, as, as Lori knows, we we do a wedge there where I love it because we cut it horizontally, you know, people don't think of it, but when you look at a head of iceberg, and we always think of a wedge or shredding, right? But if you take a small head and do it horizontally, the configuration and the network of those leaves is truly beautiful to look at,
0: you know, that is the, the most delicious and salad, Nancy with all I love that it. And bacon it's so and
1: bacon and chipolini, onion and Gorgonzola. And cause it's kind of Italian and, um but I love those Truffle Bert hazelnuts with it. And so it's, you know, a play on a wedge, but with some sort of maybe uh different, uh, condiments that go with it, but a, a wet an iceberg wedge, a shredded salad, and I think nothing is better on a burger. You know, like bib lettuce on a burger is just so soggy. I it's like color it's right but there's yeah. no texture.
2: Yeah. Yes. And we have to mention the Casa Bianca's quarter head of iceberg lettuce, yeah. uh, which is like it's not as elevated as yours, Nancy, but it, it has, you know, chopped tomatoes, anchovy, you know, Italian dressing. And uh, olives, and it's, you know, the, you know, like the Lindsay olives, you know, I think it's just, you know, like this great pizza place. And, you know, our call there is always, you know, the sausage and eggplant pizza and the quarter head of lettuce salad. It's so good. That crispness comes through.
1: You know, which leads to like those other, you know, ingredients. I think everybody has gotten so fancy in what they want to eat or what looks good on a menu. And, um, you know, I was talking about celery that I love, love, love celery. And my favorite part of the celery, besides, you know, just peeling it and slicing it, I love the celery hearts. And we've been working with doing different sort of versions of a celery heart salad, which um, uh, I have to uh, admit, we have gotten one of our purveyors to actually sell us just the heart. So he must have the uh, produce company that he buys for steal the hearts out of everybody's head of
0: Wait celery minute,
1: you, so did, that. I,
0: I, I can't visualize what a okay. heart of
1: celery so is. So if you, well, because I buy them all. So <laughs> I think no celery comes with a heart anymore. But when you open up your. Your stalks of celery that are still, uh, you know, attached to the head of celery, the giant head in the, you know, inside is that heart where there's the tender, pale yellow, like almost, um, uh, embryo, you know, <laughs> embryo in, um, texture for celery, you know, it's not developed yet. So it's the pale yellow, very small with the pale yellow leaves. And that's the heart. And if you, are lucky enough to buy a head of celery that has a, you know, a beautiful heart. It's such a delicacy. Keep that for yourself. But it's funny, Uh, you know. How many inches tall is this heart? So I would say three inches with pale yellow leaves. Yeah. or, Or two and a half. But, you know, what's funny about it is that you forget. So I buy it in bag. I buy celery hearts in bags. Okay. Cause we use so many of the leaves too. We make a celery leaf pesto, which is really delicious. And those leaves are super concentrated. So we use that. But again, for salads, we'll, we'll have them uh have that heart. And it's just beautiful. And it just sounds so good on a menu. Wouldn't that kind of catch your interest if you saw celery heart salad on a menu, but so, I remember in my um in one of my cookbooks, I think it was the Moats at home, I talked about making um a pest a celery leaf pesto using only the pale yellow leaves, forgetting that the average consumer cannot buy enough of those pale yellow leaves to equal three cups to chop it up and so I kind of that was not very fair on my part but um I first started using them. With anchovies and, and buffalo. And then, um, I remember a couple of years ago having to come up with a salad for a truffle dinner where the first course was good. They wanted me to use shaved black truffles. And I've always loved the combination of black truffles and celery. And I don't know where that combination came from, but somewhere in my head. And so I came up with this, um, salad with the, with the celery hearts and, um, and microplane black truffles, but also using this uh, delicious truffle cheese that I think I even talked about in one of our episodes or prior episodes, or or maybe just in talking to both you and Lori, I don't remember. But it's a, a cheese from France that's made once a year during black truffle season, and it doesn't contain any truffle oil or anything like that. But it contains an exorbitant amount of black truffles. So it really is a delicious, a delicious cheese and uh, made just a salad by dressing the hearts in simply extra virgin olive oil with a little bit of lemon juice and then made a toast using this black truffle cheese and then microplane black truffles all over the salad. And it was oh my one God, of those it sounds amazing. salads that was just it really memorable. You would think like, wow, that is something I would like to make at home, right? And it's just simply the humble, I mean, it was elevated, obviously, by all that trap black truffle, but that celery heart salad, just it's crunchy, um, it's flavorful,
0: and so do you leave it's the, not the,
1: manipulated, you know, at all. Do you leave
0: all. the celery hearts whole?
1: Yeah, or, cu- or cut them in half, depending on size. And then what do you do with the rest of the celery? Well, I do like to peel my celery. I'm not sure if you think that that's silly oh or not. Oh my God. But it's would, easy. You to wouldn't peel. catch
0: me peeling celery. I know. But you know what? It's, it, <laughs> it it's just so
1: tender. It's it just that bite is just so tender and none of those strings get in your, caught in your teeth. But there is something. I don't know. I like peeling my celery. Okay. So I do peel my, my outer stalks of celery. But what do you do with all the celery if you just want the hearts? I you love make celery, celery soup. Oh, what's celery, Victor?
0: you don't it, it it's you you basically poach it it's a classic i think it's a san francisco dish from a hotel in san francisco in like 1900 and it's poached celery vinaigrette basically wait so you poach the celery well, i don't know i mean do you know it lori i don't i'm looking don't.
1: at it a... lori's our historian she's usually quick on the <laughs> on the Google, on the Google, on so, the Google.
0: So, while you're looking up celery, Victor, I I can connect celery to the Chinos because the first time I went to interview the Chinos, so we're talking about probably the late seventies, and old Mister Chino was still alive, and I said to him, "What would you most?" what do you think is the thing that you would be most proud of growing? And he said, celery, because it's the hardest thing to grow. Wow. And, you know, they did grow celery and it was delicious. Well, he had a real thing for celery.
1: You know what else I did? You know, so that was one of the few snacks. I keep bringing my mother into the conversation because she was just a stickler so far ahead of her times for, nutrition, and uh, what was okay to eat in our house, you know, like, so she would never peel apples because all the, you know, vitamins are in the skin. And we only had a whole wheat bread and we never took the crust off or anything. And we didn't take vitamin supplements because you could get that naturally in your food. But one of the things that I was able to eat was cream cheese and celery sticks and peanut butter and celery sticks. So, what i did the other day i just smeared on that black truffle cheese i was talking about mm. and then a julienne of celery of the pale celery leaves on top and it was like the not modern version but the restaurant version of celery and cream cheese sticks and people were so surprised by that as a pass around cuz it's something that you don't really see right it sounds great. But it was great. <laughs>
2: a lo- It's a long way from celery and peanut butter. Okay. Yeah. Celery
0: Victor is a historical American marinated celery salad dish invented in 1910 by Victor Herzler, head chef at San Francisco's St. Francis Hotel. And what it is, celery hearts, celery hearts, there you go, are simmered in a veal chicken or beef stock, chilled, and served with a tarragon vinaigrette. And a garnish of celery leaves. Mm. Sounds like leeks vinaigrette, like you said. Yes. Um, Oh, I think it's delicious. I think it sounds delicious. So we should bring that dish back.
1: Yeah, you know, because I don't, I've never poached celery, but I have, I braise celery in the same way that I braise leeks. I don't know if you've ever had our braised leeks at the restaurant where we braise them. Yeah, in olive oil. And I do that in Italy all the time, Lori, because it's such a, it's so easy to braise, but also so beautiful. But it's, it, I braise them in olive oil and chicken stock and then some herbs and lemon, right? And then covered. So it kind of steams and then uncovered and turn up the oven. And then you get it real, really lovely caramelized. But I do that with celery and I love to serve it with, um, in the same way. And I love to serve it with, um, with like oxtail. It's a great, mm. you know, it's, so, it's great yum. it's great together. But yeah, so that celery contrast. hearts braised or celery hearts stuffed or raw, I think is delicious. Now you you can now become the spokesperson for the celery board. I would like that. Is anyone out there from the celery board? <laughs> <laughs>
2: So let me ask you, since we're talking a lot about salads and, and everything, um, have either of you seen Jeannie Kelly's, uh, vegetarian salad for dinner book?
1: No. Yeah. And I, who's, and I don't know, Jean is
2: Jeannie Kelly a cookbook writer or a? Yeah. And I, I think she used to work at, um, Bon Appetit, but Michelle Hanovan's been, um, cooking out of it and she loves it. And she's been, she made me, um, uh, she made me a, a, a salad from from the book, and she's been, you know, actually more than one salad. And like, there was one with beets and oranges and jug and labneh. And um, but I mean, the whole idea of eating salad for dinner is, I th- you know, so appealing for a lot of people. Um, it's it can be simple, but these ones can also be complicated, you know, because um 'cause because it, it is a whole meal. It's not just lettuce. And, do you know what the of cover of her book looks like?
1: Um, I was just, I may have I seen it. it. And because that's the kind of book that would catch my eye because that's really me is salads. That's the first part of the menu I go to. As soon as I, I look at a menu, I, you know, go to the salad section of a menu, but salads have always been kind of my, uh, my dinner. And I think that, People have to re- be reminded about how simple a meal can really be, and salads are the perfect vehicle for a simple meal, and and kind of like a one dish meal. I have to say, as a carbohydrate freak, the idea of just salad for dinner doesn't do much for me. <laughs> but but a salad that's well, first of all, there can be protein in your salad.
2: But I, yeah. And you can have but bread her, with your salad for Her, first, and her first book, her first book was Salad for Dinner and it definitely had oh. protein in it. But she has this new book called Vegetarian Salad for Dinner. Oh, no, and that I, I think, haven't seen. I think that, you know, you, know, we all, yeah, we, we depend on meat a lot. But, uh, you know, I also recently ate at this restaurant in Culver City. Uh, with, it's got a, rather silly name called um, Love Life with the subtitle Nourish. Oh Um, no,
1: (laughs) Lori, shame on you. Why'd you go there?
2: Well, because I was eating with Gannett from Meals by Gannett, uh, you know, the great Ethiopian restaurant on Fairfax, and uh, she wanted to get together and she's uh, vegan and gluten-free, as are many people. So, you, you know, I don't think we should...
1: No. Well, no. I mean, there's a really popular small chain. I think it's a small chain that's called Cafe Gratitude, right? Yes. Yeah. But there, you have to—is that like na- a national brand, you know, or is that just? LA? No, I think oh. I think it's just LA. It's but um, there, you have to order things with just crazy names that you're really embarrassed to have to say. Right? I, does I, this restaurant have that kind of thing? No, where, you don't. Each you don't dish. Have to- you know what I'm talking about, Ruth? Yes, I do. And I I, um... (laughs) You you can't say you'd rather say I'll have the number two. Really? Or point, I'll have this one, rather than saying, I'll have the peace be with you all day long or you know, or some inspirational
2: But I have to say what was impressive about this place is that they weren't trying to do a lot of, you know, things that pretended to be meat. So Mm -hmm. like one of the best things was a, you know, Green curry bowl with, um, you know, tofu instead of meat, but it was just, you know, great vegetables. Um, and they had, you know, a whole roasted cauliflower, chili roasted, and then with, um, borlotti beans uh, around the side. And, you know, so when, when it's just like that can be your, your centerpiece, I mean, that, that's when I think, you know, the vegetarian and vegan food can, can be delicious. When it's I have just no trying problem with itself. vegetarian.
0: Right. I don't need the protein in this. the, salad. You like the I carbohydrates? I just need some carbohydrates. So you have know, a I piece mean,
2: of bread uh, and I order just, French you know, fries. I go oh. right to potatoes, pasta, yeah. rice. Well, this was not. This has carbohydrates in it. The uh, this was this restaurant. It has pizza. It has uh, uh, you know mushroom risotto, uh, that kind of thing.
0: Yeah, but, that all sounds totally satisfying to me. I remember the vegetarian restaurant near my father's office when I was a kid. It actually then became the place where the Union Square Cafe went in. But when I was a kid, it was called Brownies and which is a terrible name for a vegetarian restaurant. But you know, everything they had was kind of like, you know, fake bacon and fake cheese. Well, see, that's
1: the thing that fakeness, right? Like Laura, you were saying what you liked about the restaurant that you went to was that they didn't try to take meat and substitute it, like you were saying, like Satan and things like that, and things that are fake, right? Because, like, I'm going to um, quote, you know, do you do you know, you know the um, actor Pamela Anderson? I'm sure, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. So she is a vegan and has been for a long time, and she has she's doing a new show. Um, and she's inviting people to cook with her. You know, vegan recipes, teach her how to do some vegan recipes. And she cooks and she also guards and stuff like that. And I think the other people that are going are gonna come up with food subs, you know, or meat substitutes, right? Which I mean, I've never, you know, some of those burgers out there, I don't really want to name names, but I think they taste awful. I mean, why? If you don't want to eat, if you don't agree with eating uh um, a meat product that's ground up and and served in a patty then why would you want to make a substitute that looks I'm like so that I'm so with you right I'm so make with make something you. and so I'm just going to go up and I'm going to teach I'm going to work with her and make you know ve- I mean vegetables are obviously going to be the star of the dish um but I'm not going to use any substitutes now I'm also working with a cheese company and I I don't know if I'm at liberty to name it yet cuz it hasn't been um, released yet, maybe in a few times I'll talk about it. And Lori, I think you're coming to a kickoff dinner with it, but supposedly it's the only cheese that's being grown from a pro, a non dairy protein. And so it melts and it ge- and it has the mouthfeel of a cheese because up until now all of the cheese substitutes are nut based so as soon as they melt they're very very gritty. I never had them before but they brought them to me and I'm like, "Wow, why would somebody eat this?" So, here's an example of a of a dairy substitute that gives you the kind of the eating experience in pizza if you want that without and you'll see Lori what you think about it. I think it's actually a pretty exceptional substitute, but I'm more about why go for those meat substitutes and they try to create them in the same look or form or shape, right?
0: And they're well, awful. It's it's the same thing. I am really against, I mean, there's this whole notion of how you trick children yeah. into eating vegetables. If you grind them up and you hide them inside a pizza or, you know, so that, and no. I mean, the answer to how do you get your kids to eat vegetables is you make them delicious and you right. make them understand that they <laughs> like vegetables. You don't hide them. And, and it's okay if they're green. <laughs> and that, yeah, it's fine if they're green or purple <laughs> or red or whatever they are. But um, th- this idea of tricking people into yeah. thinking that they're eating something that they're not eating. I mean, if you want to be vegetarian, great. Yep, There are so many cuisines that do beautifully. With veg, I mean, you yeah. know, learn to cook Indian food. I mean, yep. Nobody does better in vegetarian right. dishes than Indians, you know, right. I mean huge swaths of that population are, um, vegetarian and they, you know, they know how to make all kinds of things just taste really delicious mm-hmm. with spices. And right. you're happy to eat vegetarian food, but, but like when you see those like vegan
2: hot dogs on the menu, Why? Crazy. Crazy. Well, so when did you guys decide to not be vegetarians and start eating meat again? Well, in our case,
0: in our commune in Berkeley, it really was when we started dumpster diving. Because one day, one of my roommates came home, and he was carrying like a flat of eggs. And there was one broken egg in the flat. I said, where'd you get that? And he said, it was, they threw it, it was in the dumpster behind the supermarket. They threw out the whole flat of eggs because one is broken. And we started going into the dumpsters and bringing out, like, they were throwing away so much really good food. And then we started getting, you know, steaks and (laughs) chickens. And it was like, okay, what's the morality of eating this food? Is it better To eat this food, the animal's already dead. It's going to get thrown out. And we had this whole moral, you know, come to Jesus moment about whether we should eat this tossed out meat or not. And we decided that, yes, the morally ethical thing to do was eat that meat rather than let it. And so then we started eating meat again. It was just, you know, it became a slippery slope. Oh, if we can eat this meat, why can't we eat other meat? And then we were eating meat.
1: And it tasted good.
0: But, you know, the great thing about Diet for a Small Planet is she made recipe. The recipes in that book aren't fake anything. Right. And they're all about balancing, you know, beans and rice. So you get complete proteins out of things that, you know, need something else to complete the protein. I mean, you learned a lot from reading that book. You still learn a lot from reading that book.
2: Now, Ruth, you're not getting your meat from dumpsters anymore, and neither are I. <laughs> How do you know, I. Lori? <laughs> well, I guess I don't know what you do <laughs> out in the country there, but, uh, you know, and, and neither do I, and neither do you, Nancy. So, you, know, do you have a different way of justifying eating meat now? I know for us, I, we definitely
1: at all, all of the restaurants, uh, we are very conscientious about what who we buy it from and how that meat is raised now i'm not a, I, I have to say i it's not that i'm a big fan of grass fed cuz sometimes i find that meat to lack in flavor and definitely in marbling but i do buy i don't buy from factory farms right i know the farms that i buy our well, all of it: our chicken, our pork, and our and our beef. Um, I know where they are, and I know who owns them, and that's very important to us at the restaurant.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that the anti-meat people don't understand. I mean, I buy meat from people who raise their animals humanely and yep. who let them follow their natural instincts, mm-hmm. and I think you know it's really important to understand that regenerative farming pretty much requires animals um you know they they are a natural part of that process and if you want to i mean in my film food and country one of the farms that we follow is white oak pastures in bluffton georgia and they let you know their animals are all free range and they they raise Um, every kind of animal you can think of, ducks, pigs, chickens, cattle, lamb, and they all, you know, follow their own natural instincts. They live in the most beautiful place. And he has taken that since, since Will Harris became a regenerative farmer. His farm has gone from practically, as he said, you know, a moonscape. I mean, the land was getting depleted. Now it is carbon positive. I mean, he actually is taking the carbon out of the air putting it into the ground and it requires the animals to help do that i mean he he's got this land that is just teeming with life and um you know if you care about great food and great vegetables you probably want animals in that equation
2: yeah and i also think i think everyone has their own moral compass for what They eat because I think everything we eat, even if it's purely vegetables, all raw food or or, that also takes energy and time. And we also, you know, you have to also think about the farm workers out there picking vegetables and, and there's a human cost to just what we eat. Um, you know, not just animals there, you know, you have people out there with the, you know, remember the short hose for strawberry picking and. Um you know so there's nothing we eat that doesn't take some kind of cost and no. I think each of us has a different way of addressing that and I know we that's come from a That's a great point a- Lori.
1: that's a great point and I'm also thinking about I was just listening to um a lot of the immigration issues now in um in Florida right where the laws are becoming so strict that that people that have, you know have rooted in in Florida with their families now have to leave and not come back, you know, and, and, and who's going to do that farming? You know, it's, 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 uh, it, it's certainly the immigrants, right? Who we, who we need that we are displacing. And so I think that that's a really great point when it comes to the humanity of people too. And the, and what in our
0: movie, food and country, uh-huh. I mean, Lee Jones, uh, Bob Jones, who's part of the chef's garden in here on Ohio. Uh-huh. Actually looks at the camera and says, "America, you have a choice. Americans will not do this right. work um you can You can close up the borders. Yep. You can send all eleven million undocumented workers home. You can close up the borders, and then what we will have in this country is all imported food mm-hmm. because we will be eating food that is raised by people who are making six dollars a day." And no American farmer can compete with that. So all the American farms will go out of business. So um, if you want to have food that is socially responsible and picked by people who are making a decent wage, you have to understand the economic realities of this.
2: Right. I also understand that we are in a very privileged position to be able to think about these things. A lot of people, they're just trying to Get food on the table, and they're working—you know—more than forty hours a week, and they don't have time to think about it. So it's it's good when we can have the larger companies kind of thinking about this too, and then what's available to everyone gets better.
0: Yeah, I mean, we really have to get to a place where rich people aren't going to farmers' markets and you know eating food that was picked by angels, and the rest of America is eating food that has no nutrient value. I mean, which is pretty much the way things is. Are today and that's crazy. How did we go from celery, Victor to <laughs> no <it was> iceberg?
2: <laughs> <laughs> Marion Cunningham and iceberg lettuce. Yes, Marion was the best. You know, I mean, she, I I love that. You know, her whole thing is shopping in a basic supermarket, and when you ate at her house, you know it it was so. Um, she made it so easy. You know, I always, you know, I, I, I think until I. Experienced dinner at Marion Cunningham's house. I didn't, I thought about, you know, all those do ahead recipes and I would roll my eyes at those. And, you know, but I think, you know, when Jonathan and I would entertain people, have have a dinner party or things, we'd be working really hard in the kitchen and things. And and then you realize there's a better way where, you know, you, you, you can enjoy the dinner yourself and not be working so hard. And, uh, Marion was the queen of that. I miss Marion every day,
0: every day. I mean, you know, for the longest time I talk, I talked to her every day for the longest time. And she was kind of the glue that held the food community together for a long time. I, I, I miss her so much. I was to get back to iceberg lettuce. Alice Waters, Michael Bauer and I threw an 80th birthday party for Marion at Chez Panisse. And we had the longest debate about whether we were going to serve iceberg lettuce or not. Because of course, that's what she wanted.
1: And is that what Alice didn't want? Or did I Alice don't think Alice
0: go. wanted it. And I can't remember she where we I have, to, I have to find that menu. Um, I can't remember where we ended up on that. I don't think Alice served iceberg lettuce. Maybe you had romaine.
2: Oh, by the I way, I take- found, I found your article about Marion's birthday party. Oh wow. um, and just, I was just curious to see. Um, uh, and it apparently, um, iceberg did win because oh. here's what you wrote. Um, then there are crates of iceberg lettuce. Waters looks at them with definite disdain. Ah. Uh. <laughs> and then, uh, and then there's a quote from Alice and she says, I really thought we had to have iceberg lettuce, she sighs. You know how much Marion loves this stuff, but I figured we could make it palatable with the world's best green goddess dressing. Yeah. Oh, I agree.
1: Green goddess and iceberg is delicious. So you won, Ruth. (laughs) Congratulations, Ruth.
2: Your Um, iceberg fight. You won the the iceberg iceberg fight.
0: Yes. That just shows how reasonable Alice is in the end. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'll remind her. Production services for Three Ingredients are provided by Voltage. It is produced by J.E. Peterson and edited and mixed by Ness Smith Savadoff. The music for this show was provided by Alex Mastronardi and Richard Farrell. Before you go, don't forget to join us at threeingredients.substack.com if you haven't already. It's a great place to ask your burning culinary questions, share your own food stories, and meet other people obsessed with food. We love hearing from you. Thanks again, and keep cooking.